You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Hartigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am your Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, your auntie, James Hartigan. Happy birthday, Joe. Happy birthday. Coming up on today's show, holy shit, did some stuff happen last week. Oh my god, we didn't plan this. We were like, hey, we have a really happy episode where we celebrate Daniel's success with Daniel. And then it all kind of went sideways. That's right, Daniel Negrano won World Series of Poker Player of the Year, and then he didn't. Everybody's talking about it, we're getting in on the action, and we have got the man himself here, which I thought was going to be a big get. But it turns out he's done nine podcasts over the last six days. Including his own. Yes. So hopefully there's some angle that hasn't already been covered by all the other podcasts. James Hardigan has done extensive research, and I think we're going to squeeze just a little bit more juice out of that Negranu lemon later in the show. (laughs) That might have been the biggest news, but it was not the only news. James was back in the booth, did some commentary from yet another stop on the Moneymaker Road to PSPC. So he's going to give us the lowdown on that stream. That I can do. And um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and need you to listen (laughs) all the way to the end of the show because mm, I'm going to answer a little office space trivia with Swedish superfan Philip Firm, who will be joining us talking about Bill Lumberg. Now, James, I did not get a chance to rewatch this. However, this is a movie I saw during an era when movies really sunk in, in my brain. You know why? Because I was in high school when I saw this in the movie theater. It was before I had ever had any drug or alcohol in my system. So it was a fresh brain that just really absorbed all the information. And I went on a date to see office space and we were the only two people in the theater. Wow. And when that movie was over, I was, I looked at all the empty seats, even though there was no one there. And I was like, you guys are fucking idiots. Like I couldn't believe what else was playing in the theater. I'm assuming it was a multiplex. What, what was on the screens? One, two, three, four, and five. That's a good question. I wonder what came out the same time as office space. Let's look it up really quick. I don't know what time of year it came out, but correct me if I'm wrong. Office space was 1999. And that was a pretty good year for movies. There were a lot of really good films that came out that year. Matrix, right, was 99? Matrix was 99. Um, Magnolia was 99. Ride with the Devil, American Beauty, Fight Club. Let's see here. Hold on. We got, it came out in, let's see. It came out in February 1999. Okay, well, that's not a month where you normally get a lot of major releases. So the other movies that opened that weekend were Jawbreaker and October Sky. So not anything uh, huge there. The weekend before was The Party Monster, My Favorite Martian, Blast from the Past, Terrible. None of those movies good. Generally speaking, it's a pretty bad 
quarter for movie releases in the US because all the big movies have either come out in the summer or the Oscar bait has all come out in November, December. Ironically, so, on this side of the Atlantic, it's a huge time for movies because we get all the Oscar stuff two months late. So, yeah, okay. So, Office Space made $12 million and I, it's I mean, run. I'm... I couldn't tell you for sure that it got a theatrical release in the UK. It may well. My whole point is that this movie was undiscovered. Yes, I agree. It didn't really pick up any steam until uh, word of mouth when it came out on video, when I was able to force other people to watch it. But I couldn't believe how this movie was not a huge hit. Uh, I think it is one of the all-time great comedies. I'm so excited to be talking about it later in the show. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it because I went, to a screening last night of one of my other favorite comedies. This one came out a little bit more recently, uh, Wanderlust. And I I'm don't think you, you say it's one of your favorites. I mean, I've seen it and it's perfectly fine, but I don't think it's great. I think it, I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think that it has one of the best endings, most uh, funny. Usually comedies like peter out towards the end and become less funny. And I think this just fires in all cylinders the whole way through. I, I had an interesting experience, though, James, because the writer-director of this movie is a guy named David Wayne, who I am a huge fanboy of. He played on Poker Night Live a couple of years ago when I was hosting it. And ever since then, he's kind of uh, teased me with coming to play at my house. I'll email him. He'll be like, I'm in for sure. And then that day he'll cancel. And then like the third time he canceled, he was like, you're probably going to hate me. I can't make it. I'm really sorry. I'll make it up to you. Um, so he was at this screening. It was like a director writer Q and a afterward. Now I didn't want to tell him I was going to the screening because I didn't want him to think he had to like do anything special for me. Say hello, take time. Right. But then once I'm there, you're kind also, of hanging around in the background awkwardly, not wanting to come forward, hoping that you kind of catch his eye. You're kind of doing that awkward thing where you're waving and then pretending to wave at someone else when you realize he hasn't seen you. And inevitably, you're getting closer and closer and closer, just hoping to say, I still have my home game and you're welcome anytime. Right, exactly. Like, And I just want to be like, hi, I kind of know you, but also don't worry about me. So I ended up just slinking down in my chair not asking any questions. Uh, my girlfriend, <laughs> I had to like pull her arm down a few times because she was just going to ask, when are you going to come over and play poker <laughs> in front of a room full of people? And I convinced her not to do it, but oh, yeah. So, uh, do you know what? So I, I did not, luckily I did not end up seeing him at all, but now I don't know what to do after. I'm of like, course do not. I tell him I was there and say, didn't say anything. Just no, I pretend and just keep sending the emails, which he's never going to reply to and the, hold the games that he's never going to turn up to. I should not criticize, by the way, because I fear I am turning into Joe Stapleton, something which is uh, not a positive development in my life, because this is going to sound like exactly the kind of thing. How dare you? That Joe would do. But a couple of weekends ago. When I was on my own at home because my family was away and I'd spent most of the afternoon grinding my way through the final missions on Batman Arkham Knight, finished the game. So I was like, okay, I'm done, but I've got an evening ahead of me with nothing to do. I could watch a movie, uh, but maybe I want to start another game. And as I'm about to shut down the Xbox, I get one of those like alerts on the homepage that Shroud is streaming on Mixer. Now, it was very well publicized when Ninja defected from Twitch to Mixer, right? That was huge news. And 
a couple of months later, they've also poached Shroud. I never watched Ninja because Fortnite's not my thing, but Shroud played a lot of games I like to watch, and I think he's bloody good at video games. So I decided to just click on this and see what he's doing, and Shroud is streaming the new Call of Duty game, the new Modern Warfare game. And I thought, yeah. wow, the graphics on this look great. I know I can buy Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and I'll play that this evening. So Spunk 60 quid, which is what yeah. it costs from the Microsoft store, forgetting that the game is 75 fucking gigabytes. Yeah, and I was going to say, how many hundreds of gigabytes is it? Well, despite the fact that my internet connection is pretty solid, Microsoft servers, not so yeah. much. Estimated download time, nine hours. So I decide, <laughs> okay... I've just spent money on this, and I've only got tonight to play video games, so I'm going to wait, wait for it. Wait, you decide you're going to go to sleep and no, wake up and... No, no. Instead, I think, okay, I'll watch a long movie. So I end up watching Heat, the Michael Mann movie, because it's like three hours long, right? Yeah. Hoping that that... And every now and then I'll like, pause the movie and just check on the download status. Like, switch from Apple TV back to kind of the Xbox. Do you have a wired connection? That doesn't really matter, right? I if, do. It makes Microsoft's no difference. Sl slowing you down. No yeah. difference. Anyway, to cut long story short, by around midnight, it's finally downloaded. So I go, okay, finally, I can start the campaign. In order to play the campaign, you need to download these additional these additional packs. You don't have to pay for them, but you still have to download them, and they're 10 gig each. And I'm wait, like, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. You've already paid 60? That's just for the multi-player version of the game? It's for all of it, but it just downloaded the main game. In order to play the campaign, there are additional packs which are free, but it's yeah, still additional it. okay. download content. So again, I'm still having to wait hours. So, so I think it's like 2 in the morning when I can finally play this game. And of course, at that point, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. So I get up the next day, and of course, now, now I'm frustrated because... I don't want to be the kind of guy who gets up at nine in the morning, sits on his couch and starts playing video games. So I figure mm -hmm. I've got to give it till lunchtime at least, right? <laughs> at which point I realized somewhere. I could have gone down to the store, bought the game on disc for £10 cheaper, and it would have copied off the disc to the hard drive within seconds, and I could have been playing it immediately. So okay. I waste an evening. I've spent too much money, and I'm blatantly disappointed, and I just think... This is the kind of stupid shit that Joe would do. Yes, except what I would have done is I would have paid the 60, gotten frustrated, and then Amazon Prime now <laughs> the disc version of the game because I'd be like, fuck this, <laughs> and then paid double for it, more oh. or less. And then, but here's here's what you're not realizing is that even if you bought the disc, you still would have had to download a bunch of shit because what they do now is they release these games that are essentially broken and they go, ah, we'll just fix it on, on the day. And so there's always some massive patch you have to download even this, with this. Seriously, this game, every time I switch on, there's updates, there's patches, there's yeah. fixes. Um, overall, the game is impressive. I'm not sure it's 100% for me. I think the realism... The brutality of it might just be a bit too much for me to take. There is a brutality to this game that I'm not quite sure I have the right brain to deal with. I need a little bit more fantasy and escapism in my video games. I didn't realize. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's part of what they go for. Like, all the commercials are shot with, like, real-looking soldiers. So, Well, uh, just to... Okay, spoiler alert 
for anyone yeah. who doesn't want them to know the story of Call of Duty Modern Warfare, there is one particular mission which you are playing from the perspective of a seven or eight-year-old child who's just lost yeah. their mother in a, in a bombing raid, and you then have to escape a chemical gas attack, and then you are hunting around your house for implements to kill a Russian soldier, and you have to repeatedly stab him with a pair of scissors before you can take the gun off his back and shoot him in the head. I'm like... I'm 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 not enjoying this. I'm sorry. Yeah, that seems a little. I I like a little bit more escapism too. You know, nobody ever. I mean, I did get emotional at some of the Batman games actually, but it's a little bit different than uh, you know being a refugee. My goodness, that that does sound pretty um pretty harsh. I <laughs> I melted my brain in a totally different way um, this weekend. I don't know if you heard it. Did you guys hear about this over in England that there was this pay-per-view boxing match god yeah everyone was talking about it the weekend i couldn't give a shit i couldn't either but a friend of mine who's actually from the uk it was happening here in la and he was like should we should we go should we go to this boxing match and i looked it up and tickets were like 40 bucks for the upper deck or you could get it on pay-per-view you had to sign up for this app which by the way is called (laughs) james the app is spelled D A Z N. What do you think? What? Dazone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible. Quite, yeah, but it's 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 not it's it's quite a big deal over here. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, I downloaded the Dazen app uh, to uh to so I paid twenty bucks, which I'm gonna have to. I'm sure I'm gonna forget to cancel, so they're gonna get at least forty bucks out of me uh, to watch this fight. Adam Levy came over, uh, ruthless the poker player, and I just thought it was hilarious because in the lead up to the fight, Logan Paul challenges in the way and challenges KSI to multiplication problems, like that's his way of needling him. He's like, "What's five times five? And KSI c- couldn't answer. Um, <laughs> But then at the end of the match, okay, they're announcing the scores. Basically, Logan Paul, they announce the scores, and the first judge, he wins by, like, one point. And the second judge, he loses by four points. Right. And then the third judge announces the score, and there's a difference of two points. And Logan Paul raises his arms in victory. Whichever way that score goes, he can't possibly win, right? Whichever way that score goes, which I thought was... I. Just unbelievable irony. Unless he thinks that the score is like um, based on, you know, is it two out of three? If two out of the three judges go in your direction rather than the the, the no, difference right, in points. Unless he totally doesn't understand how boxing works at all. Anyway, he does not understand boxing. Now, of all of the I things- don't either. I would have no idea how the scoring works. Personally, I like it when they just keep going till some guy's unconscious. Seems yeah, fair. they, they have. They could only do six rounds with these two idiots because what happens is if, if they go too long, somebody actually gets seriously hurt. But with them, I don't know if I would have minded. So um, I tweeted twice about this match. Now, of all of the controversial things I tweet about, a guy literally unfollowed me because I watched this boxing match. I couldn't believe it. Of all of the offensive, weird politically divisive things I say one guy got so upset that I tweeted about this match that he unfollowed me oh my god that is ridiculous Joe before we move on um, yeah. it was a suggestion from our executive producer that we do the shilling bit here her concern is that your fantastic appeal every week to get people to subscribe like and comment might be falling to an audience of none because people have already switched off by that point 
Yeah, that's a good point, guys. Uh, so we're going to do it right here in the show. I know if you listen loyally every week, you've heard this many times, but we do need you guys to, to, to do all the things that you hear all those lame Internet people say, the subscribe, the like, the comment. We need you to do those things Joe, because Joe, we are those lame internet people. I know we are those lame internet people just because we're old, just because we're okay. Boomers doesn't mean we don't need you to subscribe and like, and comment on the show, whichever place you guys get this from. It's just a couple of clicks. We are, like I said, it's not a, we think we're back next year in 2020, but it's not a guarantee. And the more traction we can get, the more clicking you guys can do will guarantee us will help us guarantee that we come back next year so please and and also we get people all the time that say when's the new episode coming out i haven't heard one in weeks and i'm like dude just subscribe to the show it automatically downloads so please do that i know we gotta move on i just watched uh, three comedies the tv comedies this week i want to recommend i won't get too deep into it i watched all of broad city in a couple of weeks. God, what a fucking funny show. Um, really, really great show. I finished Workaholics finally. That's no news to anybody. And I finally started watching the show called The Detour about a family road trip. And I, uh, my girlfriend and I watched the entire season one in one day. It was so funny and so interesting. I uh, just wanted to throw those recommendations out there for you guys before we get to poker news. Should point out, by the way, that if you want to join in the reviews of popular media whether that's movies tv shows or games hashtag poker in the ears it's the same hashtag to use if you've got questions for guests we've advertised we've got coming on the show and of course it's the hashtag to use if you want to be a super fan we are all booked up until the end of the year but assuming we're coming back in january of next year we will need people to come on the show to compete for prizes hashtag poker in the ears is the best way to get in touch right joe let's get to it we're going to deal with the biggest controversy of the last seven days <laughs> what's going on in poker today now it is time for poker in the years news dateline las vegas only one story worth talking about this week um controversy drama concerning and i'm going to steal terence chan's line here the former three-time world series of poker player of the year daniel negranu welcome back to poker in the ears well, thanks for having me. I forgot that you guys say contra controversy. I love it. It's so cool how you bend words. It's cool. Controversy? Is that is that correct? Well, I don't I know. I figured, Daniel, seeing as this is the 17th interview you've done about this subject, that we'd put a different spin on it. So I just say words slightly differently, and then it will feel fresh. I love it. It's fantastic. I, I prefer to call Daniel La La Land. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. But yes, it does have a La La Land Moonlight vibe to it. Um, Daniel, apologies, but we do need to run through the story so far. So just to be clear for anyone who's been living in a cave for the last seven days, this is a competition with no prize, which is the player of the year, player of the series for the WSOP. It is determined by a formula that no one really understands. Um, you were a contender after the main series in Vegas during the summer months. The fact that you were a contender, and I'll put the words in inverted commas, that influenced your decision to go to Rosvedov. Through the results you put up at the World Series of Poker Europe, you supposedly won, and then you learned that you hadn't won. Yeah, so obviously, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to go to Rosvedov. I'd never been there. Um, it wasn't something, you know, I, I don't really like to travel that much for tournaments anyway, typically. 
So for me to do it, it had to be for something special. And the player of the year, as you said, it's a, it's, there is no prize whatsoever, but it's fun. Like you guys play video games. I don't know. Some of you do. What do you play for? Like, there's no prize. You play because you want to like sort of achieve a higher level or things like that. And the World Series of Poker is my video game. And the opportunity to win player of the year for the third time was something that I coveted. So I thought, you know what? Let's go out to Rosvidov. We're in decent shape. I left Rosvidov achieving my goal, which was to, you know, leave with the most points. So, you know, when focusing on the journey, I see it as a success. I mean, whether or not I get a banner up at the World Series, I've got two already. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't need a third, but uh, it was a definitely a controversy to uh, have the points be off and, uh, you know, do the Steve Harvey, La La Land, uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, I saw some really cool memes that got me laughing about, you know, com- combining the two. It was pretty funny. I have to say, you've taken it extraordinarily well. Well, thanks. You know, I think part of that is this, right? So, like, as you get older, like, you grow with some maturity. Like, if I was 25, you know, this was like a thing. I would have probably been, like, all over losing my crap, my, my poop, my shit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure where we're at here with this. And, uh, but, but, you know, then I thought about it, like I said, and I really do focus on the journey and I did my best. And I think part of it too, because like when Seth called me, I wasn't even phased and I was surprised by my reaction. I think partly because the whole thing felt greasy and dirty in the way that the award is, pre- is awarded like down the stretch where you're rewarded for, you know, rebuying and late regging and dropping. You didn't like it to event. begin with. I, I've hated the system for a long time, but like years ago, you know, people said to me, "Is like, stop whining and bitching about it. If it's something you want to win, then adjust your schedule. So I did, and I adjusted to use the rules that everyone else is doing, but it just didn't feel right. Like, Robert Campbell's a guy who, like, I felt like was deserving anyway. The guy won two bracelets. He played a much shorter schedule than someone like Sean Deeb or myself. So, you know, it went to a good guy. Now, if it went to Sean Deeb, I don't know that I would have had the same emotional response. You mean lack of emotional response? Yeah, exactly. Like I probably would have been a little more annoyed had it gone to him because, you know, obviously with the points being off, they affected the decisions of, of Sean Deeb down the stretch in, in his last event, but they affected my decisions in several deep runs where, you know, I finished sixth, I finished 10th, I finished 16th. Um, I folded Queens on the bubble of the short deck, which I would not have done had I known I was a couple hundred points behind. So, you know, the whole thing changes, but in the end, I don't want anyone to feel like Robert should have an asterisk next to his name. The guy's a worthy champion. The point system is stupid and silly. And uh, if by and by most stretches of, of, you know, barometers that you look at, Robert's a deserving champion, and, and I take my hat off to him. Sure. You referenced Seth there, Seth Polanski, the communications guy from the World Series. And, of course, none of us overheard that phone call that you had with him. Maybe that's the point where you were able to lose your shit. Um, but he, on your own podcast was very open and honest about the mistakes that were made. And again, I think it's important to state that this clerical error was with one of the results from the summer. This is not something that happened in Rosvedov like a few days ago. This is something that happened back in July, and it took forever to spot. Yeah, no, I think if it happened in Rosvedov, a lot more people would have seen it. But here's the issue. So the, the only source we have for figuring out like what the points are is the World Series website. So you go there and check your points. Having said that, sometimes they don't update it for days, and in some cases, weeks. And if there is an error, like, for example, there was with the online event, with the online event, there's an extra step that needs to be taken. So if Joe Stapleton cashed in 35th place, they have to first find out, okay, the screen name was, you know, Joe Blow whatever, Joe Blow 9966, and then, uh, um, you know, it, you, you, you basically have to find out that that's Joe Stapleton, then reward the points and fix that. So sometimes it didn't happen for weeks. 
So like tracking the system and how much points you had at that stage wasn't really all that feasible. By Rosvidov, I think there was enough eyeballs that people would have seen it. But it's pretty funny, you know, pretty ironic that and obscure that it was like a Russian journalist who set the record straight and uh, and, and found the error well after, you know, the, the event happened in, in Las Vegas. So um, just crazy, you know, that with all the thousands of people that, that see these numbers and stuff, that nobody spotted it, including myself. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question because when the announcement came that, oh, there's been a mistake, Daniel Negreanu is not World Series of Poker Player of the Year, I expected the spotlight to be on the mistake that the WSOP had made. Instead, the spotlight falls on you with accusations that you surely must have known about this error and could have pointed out to them earlier. Well, listen, the, the accusations came from Sean Deeb first, who said I was caught cheating, and then Doug Polk. And like I said in you know another podcast the other day, also, breaking news, water is wet, the sky is blue, right? <laughs> this isn't new. Like This is just like the M.O., baseless accusations with absolutely no evidence. Like Doug Polk's whole business model is to create controversy to send to his, you know, to get people to click on his YouTube channel, to get people to go to his website. So Not just you know, any controversy, controversy involving people who are way more famous than him. Well, that, that helps. Yes, of course. Go after Dan Blazarian and the like. But no, so obviously I wasn't surprised to see that. I was offended by the notion or the idea that I would do that for an award that pays zero. I had zero side bets involved. Um, this is a thing that I do for personal pride, and I am proud of the result that I put together. And it's irrelevant to me whether or not, you know, um, I get the banner or whatever. But, like, there's so much evidence. Like, if you look in my vlogs, like, I posted screenshots of my results on my vlog that included the air, right? Like, I didn't do it, but my editor did it. And, you know, we had a running total on our spreadsheet that is totally transparent. Nobody's results in poker in the last 10 years have been more transparent than mine. Each year I post my tournament results, both wins and losses. You know, so there's like, if I was not even in the race really till I cash in about event 83, the error was adjusted or fixed when they added points for like event 89. And I don't know the formula. The formula is not public. So anyway, obviously they're going to come at me with that weak, weak sauce BS, but I think it just shows and exposes them for what they are and just like, you know, clickbait trolls who care, who could care less about facts or slander because it doesn't, you know, a narrative that doesn't suit them. For example, in the vlog, there's a point where Alan Kessler gave me some advice. He said, you should go play the PLO and drop a stack on the dinner break. And I thought, you know what? He's right. I should do that. I saw Robert Campbell over there not doing that. And I said, you know what? In the fairness, in the interest of fairness and, uh, you know, sportsmanship, I'm going to go tell Robert he should do the same thing, which is, which he then did and realized, you know, that was the correct play. So like that doesn't line up with the narrative that I'm this evil scheming guy who's trying to win unfairly. So they don't mention that or they're not going to point to that. They're just going to say, my evidence is, well, he cared about the thing. So I guess he should have known, yeah. which is pretty silly considering thousands of people paying attention to this thing and nobody knew. I mean, you've named a couple of specific individuals there. I saw a, a number of people ask the question and I guess my question to you is, do you accept that because you are someone who really cares about player of the year and that you are a self-confessed stats geek, that it would seem to many weird that you wouldn't spot an error like this? Well, here's what they're missing, right? This isn't something that I could even have my own spreadsheet on because you can't, you can't add the points together because you don't know the formula. So you essentially go to the website. What the website says is what it says. And because, as I said before, first of all, I'm cashing. Sometimes multiple times in a day. I'm playing three, four events in a day, cashing all over the place. The points are not updated at the same time. I don't know what points I'm awarded for each finish that I have. So when they, you know, when they come out, I'm like, huh, 
you know, even if I noticed and I was like, oh, well, that seems kind of, I, I have no reason to doubt that their numbers are correct. Like it, this has never happened in the history of the player of the year. So like Sean Deeb didn't check. Robert Campbell didn't check. I didn't check. I understand people think that, you know, I'm like, I was like literally, you know, in a lab all I was playing 12 to 14 hours a day playing actual tournaments and focused on making sure that my pa packages were profitable in my vlog. I wasn't even discussing player of the year really till the end after I had that second place finish. And then the dilemma was, do I go to Rosvidov or not? You know, yeah. I forgot about that entire thing where Daniel also on top of all of this, look, I'm a Daniel apologist. I'm a Daniel fan. Daniel's a friend of mine. Of course, I'm going to think that there's no possible way he would ever, uh, you know, I think the world of Daniel. So sorry, everyone. I'm biased. However, don't forget that Daniel was also dealing with the fact that his uh, his selling pieces was a disaster on the technical front. And he and Christian were staying up all night refunding people, probably not, you know, paying as much attention to this as a lot of people uh, would think they would have been. Well, you know, for in, in all fairness, like that was an issue that was you know, dealt with, like I had to come out of pocket with 50, 60,000 in transaction fees, you know, to cover that. Um, you know, I, we did this at no markup, which was, which, which was, I felt like was a nice gesture to the poker community because really it wasn't about me grinding out a few dollars. It was kind of an opportunity for fans to take part in, in, the, in the grind throughout the vlog, which I thought added from a lot, for a lot of people's perspective, like they're watching the world series of poker. They're not on poker news. They're not on these websites tallying or on social media. They're getting their info from the vlog. So they're seeing firsthand where, you know, like firsthand information for them, which is fresh, partly because we're able to turn the vlog around, you know, within 12 hours or so, which, which is helpful. If you wait, you know, you wait three, four days, then it becomes old news. Now, you mentioned, Daniel, that there is no prize for player of the year. It's not like back in 2004, where I think you won a pickup truck. But did you have any... Wait, hold on a second before you get... What did you ever do with that truck, by the way? That truck is still in my brother's driveway back in Toronto. I gave oh, it to my brother so nice. for work, and he, he, he cherishes it, I swear. So awesome. no prize from the organizers or any sponsors, but did you have any financial interest in the result of this at all? Exactly 0%. I had no side bets. See, I'm not financially motivated for things. Like, it's, I, like I look at sort of goals that I want to set, whether it's like when someone I mean, says I want to do— this podcast for nothing. Right. So for example, if someone says they want to set the goal for 20 to do 20 pull-ups, like what do they get for that? They don't get anything except for personal satisfaction. So for me, you know, playing poker for the most part, you know, I'm financially stable. Um, a lot of it is I set goals and I want to achieve those goals, whether or not they mean anything, uh, or whether or not they have a cash prize associated to them is irrelevant to me. Like some people say, Oh, you know, let's make some side bets on player of the year to get motivated to win it. I'm like, that doesn't change for me unless you make a huge bet whether or not I'm motivated to do so. I do this for the fun of it. I think it's enjoyable. And I had zero side bets, which also, you know, kind of breaks up another ridiculous narrative that I was screwing people in this thing. Sure. I mean, I can appreciate the desire for achievement alone and, uh, and, and, and understand that. I guess what I find weird is how, as you explained with that specific hand where you folded queens on the bubble, how this player of the year thing I guess it's maybe it's a bit too dramatic to say it screws with the integrity of the events, but you've got a situation that you found yourself in there or where Sean D was trying to make it to, what was it, fourth or fifth in the Colossus he thinks he needs. And it is affecting the monetary results of those games because you're thinking about a meta game, except what you're thinking about isn't right because of this screw up back in the summer. You're no question. You make a great point too. That essentially, what the way the system is set up in a lot of situations, you are going to sacrifice EV. You are going to make a decision that isn't in your best financial interest for a prize that pays zero. 
So obviously folding the queens, like it's actually not all that bad because in short deck, you know, any two cards can win. But it's a decision I would have made differently. And throughout, in the Colossus, I was playing to come in 200th place, not because of I, I would get an extra $142, €142. Euro. It was simply because of the point situation. So I was sacrificing, in some senses, my opportunity to actually win the event in order to win Player of the Year. And that's not the way that the system should be set up. I have a lot of ideas how to fix it. Um, you know, so that people are not, you know, doing that, but it does, you're absolutely right. It, I wouldn't say that, like, as you said, it doesn't hurt the integrity of the event, but it actually does, you know, affect people's decisions to like, I never double dip. I don't play in an event if I'm in another one, but I, do, I dropped a stack in the PLO doubled up while I was in a 25 K event. I dropped a stack in a $500 tournament so that I could squeak into the money and cash, which is what I did. I got like 92 points. This is silly. This is dumb. This is carnival. This makes a mockery of the of the award. But I was thinking to myself, like, well, if I want to win it, why, you know, I got to play by the rules that are presented to me. Otherwise, I'm, you know, putting myself at a disadvantage. Yeah, considering the situation that Sean Deeb found himself where he was trying to get fifth, but actually he only needed ninth and probably could have clung on because I think he busted 11th in the end. Do you have any sympathy for Sean at all? Well, you know, here's the thing. I try to look at things from two two perspectives. One is the responsible. One is the victim version, which is like, I got screwed. They screwed me. They didn't tell me the points. You know, the responsible version for me was, well, you know what? If this is something I truly cared about, this is something I could have, you know, I could have like really dug into and verified and made sure that was correct. Now for Sean, obviously he has a case to be a victim, but he can also look at the fact that he's punty McPunty and that he punted off a stack in the 100K by playing a hand terribly. And that in this case against Elkie, he played a hand so horrendously bad that, you know, it cost him potentially coming in fifth. But also, you know, who knows? I don't know, because he's punty McPunty in these spots. He has a different brand of poker. He's obviously good at poker, but, uh, you know, he, he takes a very high variance line. Like, there's no guarantees that had he known he was, he was supposed to come in ninth earlier, that he wouldn't have played differently leading up to that as well. So, um, sure, I do have, you know, I, I can look at the situation and say he definitely got screwed in that case. But obviously, if everyone had known throughout Rosvedov, Robert would have played hands differently. Yeah. I would have played hands. The whole thing. You can't just look at one and go, oh, well, Sean got screwed because of this. Yeah, he did in that case, but so did everybody else. It's an unfortunate situation for all parties involved. Because here's the thing, Daniel. There will always be a very special place in my heart for Sean Deeb. And I really want to bring you two guys back together. I, I want to do a <laughs> Joe Stapleton and feel the love and actually have everyone well, be friends this? again. Start with, start with having him genuinely apologize I don't know that my wife would appreciate would have, would accept it, but if you're willing to apologize, I'd be willing to apologize to you, and we could squash this. Because I was civil to him in Rosvedov, right? But like he's made it clear that he has no interest in apologizing, despite all of his friends telling him he was completely out of line for suggesting that he's excited and can't wait for us to be divorced in two years, and then offering me some sort of ridiculous like prop bet on a marriage proposal. So. You know, like I, I get it. Like I can have empathy for a guy like him because I don't. I really, genuinely don't think he knows any better. Like I genuinely do. So I'm able to sort of like, you know, lower my emotional charge with it. But you know, listen, if the guy, I maybe I'm not a. I'm, you know, you're supposed to forgive in all cases. I find it difficult for people to to forgive people who are not willing to ask for it. Now, is this a spat that started on social media, Daniel? Because since it's we last it. spoke, we you haven't exactly made it easy for yourself with some of your social media antics, have you? I'm not sure I know what you mean by that. but <laughs> The no, spats, really, the polls, the, the generally putting everything out there. Oh, so, well, that, that was ridiculous. But So this all started literally, I didn't have a problem with Sean. I got engaged on January 1st. On January 3rd, he put out a tweet that said, I can't wait for this tweet for the divorce tweet in two years, 
which has come classless and out of line and whatnot. It's just so from a there, really, I was like, like I, I look, I, I'm not like a real a big Sean defender at all. Like that's a hundred percent out of line. I understand he just words things so incredibly badly, um, <laughs> and it's not an excuse at all. Like you have every right to be upset by this. So I actually uh, went back to him, like even when I said, "Dude, Sean," I was like joking. I'm like, "Sean, dude, come on, man. That's like way out of line, even for you." Like in a joking matter, but then he went serious with it and he was like doubled and tripled down. And I saw some private chats as far as other controversies. I don't feel like there are any with this stupid poll thing. Like, you know, people that get butthurt and sensitive about this stuff, it's like, you know, like literally get a life. I mean, come on, bro. This that's like so ridiculous. I mean, if you, you know, I know Stapes was like on both ends of it, you know, but if you're in the entertainment industry or whatever, you know, when we put out a poll, like, who do you like better? It doesn't have any meaning. It's just a silly thing. And I was the whole point of it was I was going to do one for podcasts, but then I squashed it because all you boys are too freaking butthurt about. I know James I wasn't like, butthurt. I didn't <laughs> like it, but I wasn't butthurt. Yeah. There's a difference. Um, There's right. a difference between yeah. thinking something is pointless and being offended by it, Daniel. No, I know. I get it. But I didn't think it was pointless. And I totally disagree. And a lot of people with the podcast one actually reached out to me because they wanted to be on this thing because it was going to give them exposure to bring eyeballs and, and viewers to their podcast, which is exactly what my, 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 you know, my, my approach was. I was curious. The reason I put out the polls about commentary were very specific. I was curious whether my views on who does good and who does bad commentary were aligned with the public. Because I wanted to see, like, am I wrong or am I out of line for not liking some of the commentary that I hear? Or am I, do the majority actually like this stuff? Or am I right in that, like, you know, this is you know, not as good as what we could have? So I did it for, for, you know, for, like, to figure out stuff for myself. And I have access to a lot of viewers and people that, you know, listen and watch a lot of this stuff. So I thought it would be interesting to do that. And uh, obviously, you know, I put, I, and I also pitted specifically, like, Nick Shulman. I pitted him against people like someone that I figured could handle it, you know, Jeff Gross, because obviously Nick Shulman is, you know, the, the golden boy when it comes to commentary. So I put Jeff Gross in there because I know Jeff is like, you know, he, he's, a, he's a man with high emotional intelligence and wasn't going to, you know, be sad about it. <laughs> Final thing before we move on from social media, the polls are relatively harmless, but sometimes you find yourself engaging in let's be polite and call them debates with some people where I do sometimes look and think, Daniel, take the high ground. Stop. Don't reply. Let it go. No, Daniel, don't. Oh, no. What's he said now? Well, I don't know. Like, so recently. Um, See, you know, I, don't, people... I don't think Daniel does that as often as, as I would expect a normal human to. Like, he definitely, like, goes off sometimes. But considering, like, how much comes in. I'm actually surprised how little he responds. Yeah, so so if I look at what I've been responding to, of late I'm responding to this, clearing my name and integrity when people are making baseless false accusations that I'm a cheater and I gamed a system. I feel like as much as you know there are trolls saying this, I feel like that warrants a response from my perspective, right? Sure. Because in some cases if you don't, then that's the narrative and then just people buy that. So typically I try to avoid it for the most part, but when it comes down to narratives that can all of a sudden be, you know, seen as just the way it is and the truth without me chiming in, then I feel like you're in a, so you're in a tough spot, right? You don't say anything. It becomes a narrative. You do say things. Then, you know, James and everybody else says, well, you know what, Daniel, let it go. It's not a thing. It's like, but if you were in my shoes and people were making accusations that were false, um, you know, repeatedly in a case like this, I believe that you would stand for yourself as well because you don't, you know, you don't want that to become the narrative, especially when you have like so much evidence to show that they're wrong. I would. I, I mean, I would engage every single person. I would be an absolute crazy person. Like, if you notice, one thing that I don't engage with, 
for the most part, is political debates because they're stupid. And social media is like the worst possible place for them. So I avoid that. You know, I'm obviously a supporter of Andrew Yang before he made these comments about, uh, you know, online poker. But I feel like by supporting Andrew Yang, you're essentially saying, you know, I'm not taking a political position because, you know, his motto is like not left, not right, but forward. Right. I, I do find that, you know, I, and I, in the past, I had had these political discussions with people, well, you know, with, with regardless of what side you're on. But like after, you know, doing this for a couple of years, I realized like there's not a lot of point because I'm not changing a lot of minds. It's just, you know, person on this side is making their talking points. Person on that side is making the talking points they heard. And then you end up getting nowhere, really. So and it also just makes you upset and angry. And, you know, there's better ways to spend my time. But when it comes to personal attacks on my character and my integrity, you know, I feel obligated in a sense to, you know, show people that that's not the case. There's one last thing I want to talk to you about, Daniel, and it's a positive thing, and it's a coincidence, because I watched a film a couple of nights ago that I didn't know before I started watching it that you were involved in, and that film was The Game Changers. Yeah, no, yeah, I was, I was an associate producer on that film. They came to me, uh, you know, uh, several years ago, actually, and asked if I would invest in this film, and, you know, it was a UFC fighter who started it, who essentially this UFC fighter, um, you know, when he was in rehab with his knee, you know, he'll tell the story in, in, the, in the thing, um, found that, uh, you know, his, his diet may not have been optimal. And throughout Game Changers, what you see is a lot of elite, high-end, ultra-super athletes who are fueling their bodies plant-based. So they're, you know, they, they're doing this on a vegan diet. Um, for the most part, Arnold Schwarzenegger's involved, who is not a vegan, but he, you know, he's softened his stance in the, of which he used to say, you know, oh, you hit like a vegetarian, you know, um, like just seeing these mammoth super big guys kind of dispels this myth that, you know, in order to be big, strong, and athletic, it requires meat. It actually doesn't. And there's plenty of evidence to show that with a lot of the athletes they have, whether it's Novak Djokovic, who's, you know, an elite tennis player. Chris Paul is also involved in the documentary, um, a bunch of the Tennessee Titans, some bodybuilders. Um, it just gives a different perspective that I think a lot of people don't know. I mean, I found yeah, the movie engrossing. I found it incredibly interesting. It was fascinating. Joe, have you seen it? I haven't seen it only because I, well, I don't know why I haven't seen it. Other than that, I already buy into what the message is. The message is clear. And what I find interesting is it's not just the, the personal aspect in terms of your own uh, physical health. There's also the impact on the environment as well. But there's a lot of scientific stuff in here. And I know the film has been dismissed in some quarters as, as total propaganda. It's not. It's a very intelligent, well-researched, and very well-backed study. And I'll be honest with you, Daniel, it has completely changed my outlook. It has changed my perspective. And my family will be making serious lifestyle adjustments as a result of this movie. Well, that's great. You know, I know of a group that they call themselves the Reducitarians, right? Where they're just like, they're not trying to go full vegan or plant-based, but they're trying to lessen the impact they have by like, you know, lowering their meat intake. So whether they do, you know, meatless Mondays or something along those lines, I think the movement's like, you know, you know, gaining ground. Unfortunately, I think this is possibly a danger for the movement is there's so much of this, like sort of like, uh, you know, junk, vegan junk food that's being promoted, which, you know, tastes great. Like you can get a Whopper now from Burger King. That's impossible. It's called the impossible. And, you know, people are saying, oh, this is fantastic. Well, it's not really healthy. You know, it's not some. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, nor, it's not. nor it's is the like, meat equivalent, to be fair. Right, exactly. So, you know, so anyway, I'm, I'm happy to see it. I thought, the, I thought the film did a great job. You know, the detractors of it, like when you actually debate it, and I've watched a ton of these YouTube debates, like yeah. Joe Rogan made some comments about it and 
he was so absolutely wrong. And it was like easily, you know, when you fact check, you could just go actually know you're wrong on all counts, you know, Joe, but obviously Joe Rogan, he's biased as well, you know, cause he's like a heavy meat guy and you know, he has, he's, he's backed by a company that does door to door delivery of your meat, your elk and your, your moose or whatever. But, uh, no, I, I love the film. I thought it was great. I think for anyone who is serious about, you know, their health, it's worth taking a look at, uh, you know, at the film and sort of, you know, again, maybe it's not something that suits your lifestyle, but it, it's something like, oh, sorry. One point I wanted to make was the one that really got me was there's a firefighter who's built like, you know, Adonis and he went into a firefighter group because like, typically firefighters have a high rate of heart attack because they sit around the fire hall all day and they eat, you know, they eat, they eat. So he challenged them to do two weeks on a, on a diet that they would give them. And then they checked their blood work from day one to day 14. And the numbers were astronomically unbelievable. Like, you know, cholesterol drops of like a hundred points in two weeks, weight loss average per person of about six pounds of fat. Like it was just unbelievable. And I think for a lot of the people, it was an eye opener for them to see like, that's not the only way being plant-based of being healthy, but it is certainly a way in which, you know, you can improve the quality of your life and, and your physical well-being. Yeah. It was a game changer. Yes, exactly. What a nice note to end on. The good news slash bad news, Daniel, delete as applicable, is that because we had limited time this week, you are not going to get to play one of Joe Stapleton's dumb games. <laughs> oh, wow. He's, he's ticking the bad news. People, yeah. People love a dumb game. I yeah. promise you next time, and I hope there will be a next time. Uh, Daniel, thank you very much for your time. Always great to talk to you. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Daniel. See you later, guys. Poker in the ears. Event recap. Event recap. And yes, in case you hadn't heard the news, Chris Moneymaker is a champion. He is a champion of the 100 pound buy-in circuit. And once again, he had an amazing result in one of his own events, which we'll come to in a moment. The thing about this music, Joe, and yeah. it, it, you don't get the full impact without actually seeing the video that accompanied it, the kind of uh, opener that we constructed for this two-day live stream. It includes the lyric, brain sharp like a razor blade, or words to those effects. Sharp or sharp? Sharp. A word that we accompanied by images of Chris Moneymaker. And for all the man's pros and cons, for all of his many virtues, I don't really think of him as like a razor sharp individual. No, that's why I thought shart would have been more appropriate. A brain, more like a brain shart. Yes. Um, juxtaposition, as I said at the time. So yeah, um, it was quite a fun weekend being at Asper's Casino in London for these two days, but also a little bit surreal because we're streaming a £140 <laughs> buy-in event where the average stack is anything between 20 and 25 big blinds. And it's very much at the opposite end of the spectrum from streaming like a, a 100K with GTO players. But this is simplifying things slightly, right? But I do 
genuinely believe that the perfect mix, the perfect balance is when we do like a 5K EPT main event. Because you still have the pros, the big names, the people who populate the super high roller circuit, but you also then have the amateurs, the people who surprise you, the Cinderella stories, the what on earth is he doing here button clickers. Right, and I think that also when it comes to an event like this, the people at home, you know, it it is a huge first place prize, but it's not a cash prize. So I think that, you know, obviously the prize pool affects the the numbers as well obviously that uh, you know that that platinum pass is fantastic but then the fact what was it like 9k or something for second place uh, 11,200 for both first and second the cherry on top for the winner being the platinum pass oh so you guys did cash and the pass yes for the winner right yes so you know so that that kind of um unfortunately sort of dictates the 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 level of passion from the audience because even though the 30, 30 K or whatever it is, platinum pass uh, is life changing. Yeah. It's not exactly the same seeing that being handed over than, you know, pure life changing money. Over the two days that we streamed, we saw two platinum passes awarded as we advertised on last week's podcast. The first day of the stream, the very first thing we showed was this sit and go called the platinum pass experience. It was a bunch of guys who played these five pound 50 qualifiers online and had won seats in this eight person sit and go uh, where the first player out got 800 quid and the winner got the platinum pass and 1000 pounds in cash. Wow. And that winner was a guy called Ollie Hutchins from the UK who was probably the most camera shy player at the table but obviously is delighted to be going to Barcelona uh, next year and the winner of the Moneymaker Tour the Moneymaker main event was Valdir Cordero dos Santos from Brazil who apparently is a regular on the London circuit and some of our guys on the crew recognised him because they played against him at events at the Empire or at Aspers um, should say that the Moneymaker main event had a few names in it no name bigger than Patrick the intern, or should I say Patrick the former intern, because he did leave us about a month ago. He's no longer doing the super fan quizzes. Instead, he is crushing souls at the poker tables. He came through day one as one of the chip leaders, and on day two, he made it, I think, to the last three tables. He went out in 30-something, so well done, Patrick. Good result. Cash for just shy of 700 quid, I believe. Is this what it's come to, or... Poker Stars is introducing new people to the game by having them be interns at the company and then sending them out into the world as customers. Patrick was already corrupted long before he came anywhere near our team. Um, oh, po- Patrick liked poker first. Yes. Oh, cool. Good for him then. Um, also in attendance, and this was the obvious draw for Feature Table, Joe. William Kasuf and Chris Moneymaker sat next to each other. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm thinking about, do you remember that time in Malta where that waiter looked just like Will Kasuf? And you were like, and he played some out, and he forced <laughs> Remember you were doing that? Will I Kasuf. do remember that vaguely. Um, <laughs> the real Kasuf was in attendance. So as per, as soon as you say the word Kasuf, or as soon as you put him on a feature table, you polarize the audience. You literally have 50% of the viewers saying, get rid of this guy. And 50% of the viewers saying, we love him. Give us more Kasuf. And I what will, were you saying? I will stand by my assertion. 
I find Will's antics funny. I enjoy the banter. I hate the stalling. Now, the shot clock has dealt with that to a certain degree, but not entirely. And I love his demeanor at the table. Absolutely. I love his demeanor. I love the entertainment he offers. But please don't do it while you're sitting there tanking with nine deuce off. We know you're going to fold. You're just wasting time. You're just sucking money off the clock. You can be entertaining and also not be a drag on the game. Um, Kasuf did not go super deep, but I tell you who did. Chris Moneymaker Moneymaker. He made the last two tables at the Hippodrome event that I attended. He made the last two tables of this event. I think he busted in 15th place. So incredible that once again, in a field of hundreds of entries, Moneymaker nearly makes it to the final eight. What a clown. How does he do it? I know. Ridiculous, right? Um, I'm lucky that I had on hand many PokerStars pros who had come to Asper specifically to rail the sit-and-go and the main event and join me on the mic. Spraggy was in town, as you know, because he had to leave L.A. early. Uh, Nick Walsh, Opie Poker Nick, uh, GJ Reggie, Georgina James, Pie Face Poker, Mason Pie. Uh, so my thanks to all those guys. And during the commentary, we had our fun. The legend of Chris Smith has mm. been born. So this is the story we're now telling, Joe. Okay. Chris Smith, an accountant, makes it to the final table of the World Series of Poker in 2003. Uh-huh. And he realizes, it dawns on him, that he could become the first ever online qualifier to ship the World Series main. And he realizes that this could really mean something. And he really wants to leverage the promotional and sponsorship opportunities that this potential victory could afford. So he decides he needs a better name. And he throws around some ideas. Chris, big winner. Chris, <laughs> tourney champ. And he settles on Moneymaker. And he legally, because he's in Vegas, right? So you can fast track anything in Vegas. Oh, yeah, of course. He fast tracks it. But there's a clause. If you're going to change your name to Chris Moneymaker, you have to be making money. And he has to achieve a certain number of results within 20 years, or he loses the right to call himself Chris Moneymaker. And the issue he faces is 2019, with four years to run on this contract, he still has to make another $1.75 million by the summer of 2023, or legally, he has to revert to being Chris Smith. So he is going to be doing it $140 tournaments at a time. Absolutely. Min cash by min cash, he'll get that $1.75 million, or he'll be back to being Chris Smith. And oh, my God. Of course, the man plays along with it, and he's like, I can't believe, you know, you've, I'm going to have to take legal action now. You know, you're not allowed to talk about this. I can't believe my secret's out there. So the legend of Chris Smith will continue to be told. Um, getting to the final table was an interesting experience. And I don't think we've ever witnessed anything like this at any event we have ever covered. And it's the line that you trot out from time to time, Joe, which is, welcome to any poker room in England. Um, <laughs> so can't wait. The pace of play was really swift. And the intention at the start of the day had been to get down to the final eight. But we're getting down to the from final... From how many? I think 125 came into the day. Okay. But 30 minutes clock, 30 minute clock, pretty shallow stacks. It was taking yeah. no time at all. Seems reasonable, yeah. And it was getting to around 9.30, 10 o'clock in the evening. And I was saying, look, guys, I think we could legitimately stop with two tables. We could legitimately stop at 16, come back tomorrow and still have like a seven hour day, which would be perfect for us. We always talk about wanting to keep the two days balanced. 
And I was really concerned that if we did play to the final table, which might take until 11.30 midnight, that we're going to have like a super fast day the next day. It could be over in three hours. It could be a repeat of EPT Barcelona. And um, we kind of looked at the, 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 the structure and the casino finally agreed, OK, guys, we're coming back from break. We're going to say to the players that we want to play another two levels, which would be another hour of play tonight. But if we get to 12 because I think at this point we still had 15 players remaining. If yeah. we get to 12 in that hour, we'll stop there. We'll cut to 20 minutes into the session, we're at 12 players. So it's proving my point that it's going really quickly. So they decide, right, we're stopping for the night, and we're basically getting ready to come off air, except revolution is in the air, because some <sighs> of the players aren't happy. And despite the fact that they had been told, coming back from break, what the plan was, that contradicted what they'd been told at the start of the day, which is we were playing to the final table. And it got a little bit testy because they were obviously talking to the floor staff and making their views very clear. And it was kind of split. I'd say one table were quite keen to just go home, to bag and tag and come back. And one table kind of wanted to keep playing. So 12 what, angry men. But what do you do in any situation where you can't reach a resolution and you're at deadlock, of course, you leave it to the people and you put it to a vote because that's Referendum. never got us into any trouble ever. Um, <laughs> and to cut a long story short, uh, by a slim majority, they elected to play on. So we thought we were done. We had to take a short break. We came back and we kept going for a whole 40 minutes, at which point they were down to nine. They came back the following day. And even though they rolled back the blinds and increased the levels to 40 minutes, the final table was still done in four and a half hours. That's pretty good, though. Like, it's not an embarrassingly short final table. No, not at all. Um, and it was not without its entertainment. We had kings folded pre during the first what? orbit. We had a guy who literally was incapable of folding and yet people thought it would be a great idea to keep bluffing him. Um, we had huge swings in the chip lead. Can so, we talk about the kings fold? Was he right? Of course he wasn't right. Well, <laughs> it depends. It depends on your point of view. Pre-flop right. Pre-flop, incorrect fold. But from the run out of the board where someone hit a set, correct. So, of course, that was a fantastic conversation among the chat pros on Twitch for a good right. 20 minutes. Oh, the guy looks like a genius now. No, he doesn't. Um, but yes, so a fun event to cover. I think that will be the only stream we do, certainly from this side of the Atlantic, from Moneymakers Road to PSPC. The next event scheduled to be in Ireland at the end of the month. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it now, uh, but it will be at uh, in Dublin. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. I imagine they'll try and draft in Finton to attend that one. Oh, your family's going to be so upset that you're not coming to visit. They're down in the south of the island. My family is upset because uh, my wife and daughter love Dublin and they were hoping we could all go for the weekend, but not going to happen anymore. But if you get the chance to go, these events are enormous fun to play. And that's what I genuinely feel about 140-pound MTTs. It's not about live streaming them. It's about playing them. And having Moneymaker there in attendance, having the prospect to win a Platinum Pass it really is worth doing. And remember, there are really low-cost satellites on Stars awarding packages to this event. I've been very lucky that all the times I've streamed the Moneymaker event, I've been allowed to play it first and didn't have to go into the booth until I've been knocked out. And I cannot recommend them enough. And Chris, credit to him, is 
big a doofus as he is makes it really, really fun for the people that come out to see him and play. And the fact that he somehow runs like an absolute God during these things, you don't even mind True because that. it's just such a good time. Absolutely. Uh, so I talk about satellites to Moneymaker's Road to PSPC. There are also satellites to EPT Prague, and we're going to try and give away a ticket right now. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. This week, Superfan versus Stapes is going to Sweden, and more specifically Stockholm, as we say hello to Philip Firm. Greetings, Philip. Hey, Joe. Hey, James. What's Flip happening? Firm, what'd you think of the film? Uh, I love it. I, I've been watching it so many times in the past. So this is what makes Swedish people laugh, because I got to tell you, I've struggled with you people. Actually, I uh, not many of my friends have watched this one. I try to make them watch it, but yeah, not many have watched it. Well, <laughs> let's hear a little bit about your life. Who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> my daddy he is uh, uh, not working anymore, surfing in Brazil. 61 years old. What? Yes. <laughs> Usually I'm upset when people answer that question literally, but I'm so <laughs> glad you did. What the fuck is he retired from? Uh, yeah, he didn't work much. He, he worked with like uh, psychiatric, uh, I don't know, support for people. Yeah. Anyway. Now he's, now he's surfing it out. Yeah, he's enjoying life. And what about you, Philip? What does your life entail? Uh, yeah, my life, uh, I'm working uh, with logistic in a company selling watches online, and I'm studying Chinese medicine. Okay, well, that's slightly different to our usual fare. Nothing involving yeah. computers. Um, Chinese medicine, is that like kind of snake skin remedies and all that jazz? Yeah, sticking needles into people. Nice. <laughs> what can you do for erectile dysfunction? <laughs> I don't know. I, I would have to diagnose you, man. <laughs> Stick some needles everywhere, kind of. Oh, I'll just say, oh, when oh, I lived in oh. London, Chinatown used to have some pretty good pills. That's all I'm talking about. Okay, okay. I, I, yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of you sticking needles in him personally. Um, <laughs> so, Philip, you have chosen Office Space, which, Joe, I know is a personal favorite of yours. In fact, you introduced me to the movie about 10 years ago. I remember you giving me your old DVD when you upgraded to Blu-ray. Um I've revisited the film to conduct this quiz, or to compile it at least. You guys get to compete. There is an EPT Prague satellite ticket on the line, plus some PokerStars merch. To be honest with you, Philip, I haven't checked on the situation in Sweden. Is PokerStars running satellites on the Swedish version of the site? Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. Fine, good. In that case, you're eligible for the ticket, plus the merch. You know the format. Got 10 questions yep. in front of me, and you know, as the superfan, as the guest, you get to go first. So please tell me where on the board you would like to go. Okay. I'm not usually traditional, but I pick number seven. Number seven. How much work does Peter estimate he actually does in an average week? 15 minutes. 15 minutes for two points. And there is a bonus question attached here. What do the Bobs think Peter has written all over him? Oh, oh. Damn. Shit. No, he does not Just have shit. Just for fun, James, yeah. I want to answer it. I know it's yeah. not my point, but I want to answer yeah. it. Well, if you can't answer it, Philip, it does pass to Joe. And Joe, you can score a point if you can steal. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember. Lazy something, but it's not really that word. Yeah. Go for it. 
Upper management. Correct. For uh, yeah, yeah, steal. The box, yeah. Oh my god, yes. Okay, Joe, yes. your first question. Question number nine, please. Question number nine. According to Lumberg, what is next Friday? It's Hawaiian shirt day. It is Hawaiian shirt day for two points, and there is a bonus question attached. What does Lumberg suggest people wear with their Hawaiian shirts? Jeans. Correct, for the bonus points. My God, we finally found the movie that Joe knows back to front. Uh, good luck, Philip. You're going to need it. Second round, second question. What would you like? Uh, number two. Number two. When does Milton get to listen to the radio at a reasonable volume? Uh, can I have options? You can. Is it between 9 and 11, between 11 and 12, between 2 and 4, or between 3 and 5? Between 9 and 11. Correct, for one point. And there is a bonus question. Who gets to listen to her headphones while filing? Nina. No, it's Sandra. No. Oh, sorry, uh, Joe. Yeah. I should have given you the option of stealing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But to be fair, you already have the advantage. You could build up an even bigger lead with your next question. Also, in the in the uh, interest of honesty, I would not have gotten that anyway. Okay, good. <laughs> I feel better now. Me too. Which question do you want? Question number three, please. Question number three. What is Bill Lumberg's official job title? Oh. He's, I think he's a vice president, but I don't know if it's a vice president of something. I'll take the choices. Is it general manager, chief operating officer, division vice president, or head of sales? I'm going to go with division vice president. Correct for one point. And your bonus question, what subject does he have a degree in? Uh, good lord, what subject does he have a degree in? Uh, I'm gonna go with, uh, management. Incorrect. Philip, you can steal if you know the answer. Yeah, I would have guessed the same. <laughs> Guess something uh, else. Okay. Uh, oh shit. Uh, go scientific. Oh. Okay, uh, uh, like IT, I don't know, no, IT. Physics, yeah. he has a degree physics, in yeah, physics. Okay. Uh, Philip, it's your question. You can have one, four, five, six, eight, or ten. Uh, four. Question number four. What problem does Samir have with the fax machine? Uh, paper jam. Correct, for two points, you did not fall into the trap. Of course, it was Michael Bolton who had the PC load letter problem. <laughs> yes, and I was here, going for it. <laughs> here is not only a hashtag fun fact, but also a glitch in the matrix. And I have an eyewitness, Joe, that this is not a made-up story because I immediately showed producer Ben so that he could provide backup to this. <laughs> as soon as I had completed this quiz, the first thing I did was check LinkedIn. And bizarrely, and I have no idea why it appeared, the very first thing on my kind of like feed was an article written by a software engineer called Michael Bolton. <laughs> Random <laughs> as fuck. Uh, it's a tight game, but Joe, it's your question. Is question uh, two available? No, you can have one or five, which are the questions either side of two. I always pick one. I'll take one. What is the name of Joanna's boss at Chotchkeys? Joanna's boss at Chotchkeys. Played by Mike Judge. What is the name of him? 
I gotta take the choices. Damn it. Is it Steve, Stan, Simon, or Saul? Oh man, I'm gonna go with Simon. It was Stan, but I know you're gonna get the bonus question right. Who <clears throat> plays Stan? My judge. Correct, for one point. Okay, so we are going into the penultimate round, and Joe has a one-point lead. You can come back from this, Philip, if you choose wisely. Five, six, eight, and ten are available. Uh, five. Peter's plan to steal from Inatech is borrowed from which superhero movie? Superman 3. Correct, for two points, and there is a bonus question. What phrase do Peter, Michael, and Samir have to look up in the dictionary? Money laundry. Correct for a bonus point. Ugh. Joe, you can have six, eight, or ten. Uh, six, please. What would Lawrence do if he had a million dollars? He would have a threesome. Correct. Two chicks at the same time. Uh, <laughs> final question, Philip. Eight or ten? Uh, eight. How many years ago was Milton actually laid off? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Uh, let's show this, please. Two, three, five, or seven? Five. Correct for one point. Oof. So here's the deal, Joe. Yeah. Philip has a one-point lead. If you can get question 10 correct without the options, you win. If you need the options and you get it right, we go to the tiebreaker. If you take the options and get it wrong, game over. Or if I get cocky and get it wrong. That good point well made. Not that you've ever done that before, much. Which <laughs> software company does Samir and Michael end up working at? I, I know it, but I really should play it safe, I guess. You're going to take the options? I'm going to take the options. I Yeah, I think it's... I'm just going to say it out loud now, but I'm taking the options. I think it's... It intertrode. Okay, these are the oh, options. Is it Top Tech, Circuits with a Z, Initrode, or Gigaworks? Initrode. Initrode is correct for the one point. So it's nine points apiece. We go to the tiebreaker. Joe, get ready to message me privately on Skype. Okay. Not the All conversation right. we're in at the moment, but a private chat. Yeah. Very simple. Do not say anything yet, Philip. Let Joe answer first, and then you give me your answer as well. And whoever is closest to the number wins. How long is office space to the nearest minute? Go, Joe. Joe is typing. Joe is typing. Joe has answered. What would your answer be, Philip? One thirty? minutes. Or one oh, hour thirty. No, no, one, one hour thirty. So ninety minutes, minutes you would 90 say. Ninety minutes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Philip's gone with ninety. Joe's gone with a hundred. The actual answer is eighty-nine minutes. You are only <sighs> one minute out, Philip, and you are certainly oh closer, so you win. On the wow. tiebreaker, this week's edition of Superfan <laughs> versus Stapes, so you will get the satellite ticket and you will also get some Pokestars merch as well. Thank you very much indeed. Awesome, thank you. All right, my babies, we are just about out of time for this week's show. Remember, I did the whole shilling at the beginning. Do it, please. Coming up next week, it's our health and fitness episode. <laughs> 
we have a genuine beefcake on the show, and I know because I've checked out his photos. Um, bodybuilder and fitness model Zach Ainsley, who is known as Mr. Biceps. It turns out he is a huge poker fan. He recently came 25th in the Moneymaker event up in Newcastle, and um, he also has 1.2 million followers on Instagram. So he's going to be our guest next week. Excellent. Well, I'm... Um going to have to become one of those followers because who doesn't love a beefcake can't wait to talk to that guy hope he just hope he doesn't fat shame me too much i don't i get a little i get a little nervous talking to these guys that they're just going to hold the whole interview is going to be him telling me how i need to change my lifestyle yeah uh and i hope you are prepared for next week's super fan quiz joe the specialist subject is fleabag I will have to finish season two of Fleabag. What happened was my my girlfriend finished it without me, and I stopped (gasps) watching out of protest. So I'll have to get over myself, finish that up. Guys, that is it. That is all the time we got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. (laughs) 